You have self-described the band as sad boy indie rock. How do you decide what genre you want to focus on? Oh, that sad boy indie rock is something really. So uh, some years and years ago, um, I was writing a bio with one of the, one of the early uh, guitar players in the band that I'd known from college. And it was like one of those 1 a.m. Uh, we were like pretty lit. And I was like, hey, man, we need like a, like a way to describe our music. And then I was just like, yeah, man, sad boy indie rock. That's the thing. And it kind of stuck. It kind of like, I'm not huge into like genres, not in like a, I'm an edgy way. It's just like, I don't really like being told what I have to do in terms of my art. And I don't like being put in a box because it's very easy to be like a person of color artist. You're always constantly thrown into boxes. So I kind of, the years ago when I came up with that little tagline, it just kind of gave me like a, a little carve out a little niche in indie rock that I felt like I could go in and not have to worry about having to have certain expectations or make a certain kind of art. I could kind of just do whatever. And it kind of stuck around for a while. And I still kind of like the little term because then it's kind of like something we made up so we can kind of like create our own music within that, uh, that little niche or whatever. Awesome. Uh, how has your background in Memphis influenced not only your sound, but your approach to making music? I think it kind of like, I think Memphis is like one of those like very overlooked music cities. Like everybody knows like Elvis Presley and like Ghana Records if you're like a like a punk person, but like no one really knows about anything else down here. So I feel like we kind of Memphis inherently just has this massive chip on our shoulder. And I feel like I've just automatically inherited that by being a musician down here. So like every time I approach music, I approach it like a Memphian with a chip on the shoulder. I'm always trying to like kill everything. Every show I'm trying to like destroy everything. Every like I always go into everything like I'm trying to just like kill every single thing I do because I have to because like no one pays attention to like music that we make from like the south or in Tennessee or in West Tennessee and stuff like that so I feel like on the one hand I carry that chip on my shoulder and on the other hand I approach it very hard and try to work twice as hard so that not only I can prove to people that our band matters from like the south but also all the the other bands that I'm friends with down here in West Tennessee and stuff like that that show the people that like we also matter just because we're not from like up north or west coast or east coast and all that jazz that we still make music that matters and we still work twice as hard as like people in these other big cities and to like prove to people so like you know when they think about memphis they think of more than just like goner and elvis so i feel like it's like that i carry that entire like all that with me everywhere i go and yet and with every song i write and with every performance we do awesome um what does this upcoming tour in your recent South by Southwest uh, festival appearance mean for the band? Uh, it's, it's, it means a lot. Um, between South by and Tree Fort, it was the first time we actually like, we're like super, super known in terms of like, like South by people would recognize us. Uh, like I went to the Japanese breakfast show and like bands that are way bigger than us were like recognize me. Be like, oh, it's Black Hippie or da da da. That was crazy. And then Tree Fort, because we played two shows there, and after our first show, we couldn't leave the Airbnb for more than, like, 10 minutes without someone being like, oh, Black Hip, you guys are so sick, da-da-da. So it was kind of cool, and it was kind of our first taste of, like, people caring and any kind of, like, mainstream, like, notoriety and stuff like that. Because we're a bunch of, like, yeah, why, like, indie kids. We're not used to this stuff, you know. We're not from that kind of pedigree and stuff like that. So it just kind of felt, like, super cool, and it kind of gave us a little push, and it was kind of like a uh, the reassurance we needed to kind of keep pushing through. Cause like, you know, we're struggling all the time, you know, we're broke all the time and just trying to like make music that matters and reach people. And uh, that kind of like recent tour was kind of just like the reassurance we needed that we're doing the right thing and to keep kind of pushing. So it's kind of like a good little morale boost. Have you felt like this recent, like um, 
this recent attention and having all that, like, do you feel like this has motivated you to like further your music or like kind of change what you want to do at all? Definitely. I feel like getting all this attention off an album that we like recorded in three days kind of gave me the little extra little like confidence. Cause now I'm like, Oh, y'all cared about that record. Just wait until we have like a little more time and like stuff like that. Cause now I'm just like, now that people care, I'm like, cool, I'm going to do something even crazier. Like we're going to, this next record is going to be insane. It's kind of just like, it's just cool. Cause like, I don't know. I feel like it gives a little, also a little added pressure. Cause now that like people care, there's like an opportunity to fail that kind of stuff like just to be like all right cool if I mess this up then I'm like screwed so it kind of gives me an extra like push and makes me go like a little extra level in terms of like writing and like approaching music and stuff like that because now I'm like cool I could either like screw up my entire like everything we've all worked for if I mess up so like cool I like that I like the I like the challenge I like the I like the stakes being high (laughs) yeah that's I get that that is that's awesome um as the frontman and songwriter of Black Hippie, what is your creative process like? And are there any challenges worth working in this genre? So the writing process is kind of a very like reflective of who I am as a person. I always tell my, I always tell my mom, I was like, I feel like the way I write music is just indicative of all the things that are wrong with me mentally. And I overthink everything. So usually what I do is I'll like I'll get a guitar um and i'll just like start messing around with it and stuff like that see if i come up with any cool like riffs or anything like that or chord progressions and then i kind of like outline the song kind of in my head and then i'll start like obsessively demoing it with just like guitars like some keys and stuff and then i'll like throw down like a dummy bass line over it and then once i kind of get like the feel of it uh i live with my drummer is one of the people i live with so uh we'll kind of jam through it and then he'll have a few ideas, be like, hey, let's take it in this direction on this part. And I'm like, cool. So kind of like, I like constantly reinventing the same song. So then like, so there's like the version of like my initial demo. And then there's the version that I play with my drummer and we jam it. And then we will demo, like we'll record the drums and then re-demo it. And then I'll sit on it for a while and then listen to it like after like a week or so, pick out like the kind of like in- intricate parts. Like, okay, cool. This melody worked here. I like the chord progression on this chorus. I like this, 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 or like this one vocal line I did. And I'll pull that from it and then I'll kind of reinvent the song again. So basically like the best way to, to like sum it up is like, there's like six or seven versions of the song if you feel one of parties. The one that's on the album is like the final version, but there's two versions with horn arrangements that I did. There's a version, there's two other versions with two completely different guitar solos and a completely, completely different place. Like all their, like all the structures are different and all seven of them. So I usually like to like demo things like in like a lot and then like re-listen, re-listen, take all the best parts, take all the earworms from it and then reapply it to a new version of that song is typically my writing process, which takes a while, but, and it drives you a little crazy, but I. Sure. I like it. It's like, it's how I like to work. Um, Cause right now we're work, I'm working on the, we're, we're working on the next record and I've got about a few kind of semi fully fleshed out demos right now that I actually have to get back to I'll do it tomorrow or whatever. Um, but that I'm probably going to re-listen to in like a week and then kind of change a bunch of stuff on it. Maybe buff up the like second guitar part I wrote for it and see if I can like beef it up a little more and stuff like that. And then usually once it's all like semi demoed out, I'll give it to like our bass player so you can write like a really good bass line over it. And then, um, then we'll like actually start like trying to like record it and stuff like that. We'll play it live too. Cause then like, once you get it live, then I can figure out what works and what doesn't work. Cause that's like the most, like that exposes you the most. I feel like, especially with like writing guitar parts, 
when I'm playing live and having the other guitar part play the other part I wrote, I'm listening to it and I'm like, ooh, there's some, something missing there. I should have wrote like this instead. So then I can come back to it and like make sure it transfers live and also transfers in the recorded aspect. So would you say that you're kind of like maybe halfway done with it by the time you bring it to your other bandmates to kind of mess with it? Like, Kind of, I, I'll, I'll say more like it's fully fleshed out and then it gets completely destroyed and then refleshed out. <laughs> That's that's a fair way of putting it. <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah. Sorry, that part cut off. Um, you... It's metaphor, the constant rebirth, I guess. <laughs> that's that's fair. Um, okay. In many other interviews, you talk about wanting to inspire Black kids to pursue music in a predominantly white genre. Have there been any moments that really made you aware of your influence on kids today? Um. I think like there's a few. Um, I'll just do a quick rapid fire of three that I the most. Uh, the first one was we were playing in DC on our tour before last back in the fall, and it was the first time I like had a predominant like a very heavy like black like black crowd. It was having a few other shows on that tour, but it was just cool. I was just watching like Dreads headbang and stuff like that, and then like uh, another there's a heavier band playing after us, and we were in the mosh pit with those same fans that came for us, and it was just like super sick and it was like a bunch of black kids and i was like this is so dope and then someone had tweeted about it and i was talking about it was the first time they ever went to a, a show where the person there was like people that looked like them at the show and the band did too and it was like super sick and then the second instance i just actually no it was this uh this like uh this, uh, this black girl had her dad drive her from san antonio to austin to see one of our unofficial showcases on that south by tour and that was just super cool just like and like, I think she knew all the words because she was the one like singing a bunch of words. That was really cool seeing like a young black kid, like, you know, like looking up to us like that. That was super cool. Awesome. I just got a message because um, our bass player is in Europe right now playing bass for proper. And he just texted me today and was like, some random uh, girl ran up to me in Austria and was like, I'm such a huge fan of like Black Hippie. Can you tell the front man that he inspires black kids around the world? That was cool. That like made me like that hit here. And then I guess. One other one I was thinking of was uh, I got interviewed by this South African publication and like the person was like a massive, massive fan and knew like a bunch of like Nardwar kind of like level information about me. And I was just like blown away. I was just so cool. And it was just like, oh, I just love what you're doing. Da, da, da. I, just, I don't know. Anytime I just like having those interactions, it just means like the absolute world to me. Anytime I get like messages or like comments on stuff, it just means so much because I know it was I didn't have any of that when I was first starting getting into like the indie scene and stuff like that. And knowing that I'm creating that for other people and making it easy for them just makes me feel like everything was worth it, even like all the struggle and stuff like that. Totally. totally. That's so cool. Okay, breaking into the DIY scene can be kind of tough. What was the most challenging part about learning all the necessary tech? I feel like there's nothing really like insanely hard, but the hardest part I think is trying to convince people that what I do is good. Because I feel like when you're like, white it's like so much easier to like start a band and be like hey we do this and everybody's like oh I can instantly relate to that you know it's hard trying to like carve out a, a niche and prove to people what you do artistically is good and that like what you do is also relatable just because you don't look like them it's still what you're saying is still relatable to them and probably the other, other hard part of breaking DIY man DIY touring is hard uh not like the aspect of it just like the initial like push of getting into booking your own tours was a little hard. Um, 
just a lot of panic attacks uh, in my bedroom. But other than that, it wasn't, I guess, not, not super hard, I guess. It was just like getting over the fact of being the only Black person everywhere is also a little hard to get through, which is why I'm glad that we're a predominantly Black band. So that makes it easier. It's like, at least there's the other two of us, you know, that kind of thing. But I guess that's the only real hard part, I guess, of, of getting into it, I guess. I still feel like, you know, we're always like outsiders. So I guess coming to terms with always being outsiders and stuff like that and not having that much in common with people sometimes is like something hard to get through, which I'm, you know, I don't mind, you know, it's cool. It's whatever, you know, it's the name of the game. <laughs> For sure. And would you say that like, like, would you have any advice to give somebody who is just starting out after having kind of gone through that process and like learning as you go? I think like my best advice is just to do it, work hard, push through it. Don't care about what anyone else thinks about what you do. Don't care about the little small comments they say. And don't worry about being the only person like you in the room because the fact that you're there means you can bring other people in the room with you that look just like you at some point. So that's my advice. Keep doing it, push through, fight for what you want to do. And, you know, don't worry about being the odd man out because honestly being different, weird and not fitting in is like the probably the coolest thing you can do in any kind of artistic sphere because the entirety of art is not fitting in. The entirety of art's being weird and different. So, you know, embrace that is what I say, dude. Embrace it in your art and embrace it in what you do in the scene. Embrace it in how you approach everything in your life. I say you do that. It's <laughs> good advice. Um, and then our last question is, actually, no, there's two more questions. Um, before you made music, I believe you played basketball, right? Yes. Sorry. I. Okay. I was just wondering what the process was like switching from athletics into music. So the funny thing about like that was I, I didn't pick up a basketball until I was 13. I started playing piano when I was like 12. So it was kind of like music to basketball, kind of back to music. But it wasn't that I feel like I applied everything I learned in sports to music. So like when I, I, started, I started like basketball super late, so I had to work like really hard to try to catch up with all like my peers so I kind of like learned how to work really hard through like playing sports and learned that like you have to work twice as hard as the other person to try to get to the point they are at and stuff like that and like it kind of like also built into my mind like the like a very competitive nature but not with like other artists or musicians but like with myself and I always wanted to be better than I was the day before so I feel like all I did was just take everything that I learned from like organized sports and just like shoved it into like doing art and stuff like that so I just kind of approach art in the same way that I approach like sports it's like work harder than the next man behind you like always try to like outdo yourself always outdo yourself and always try to be better than you were than you used to be because like my my, all my constant goal is to make sure that our album if you feel alone at parties ends up being the worst album in our discography like that's like my goal is to like keep like write records so much better that people just forget about that album that is like my goal you know so I, all I did was just kind of just like switched kind of like lanes and kind of just applied everything I kind of learned through like youth sports into like music because I feel like this you can learn a lot in like sports as long as like it's a I mean my, my sport environment wasn't great but I feel like if you you could you can learn a lot from like I feel like organized sports and stuff like that and I feel like it helped me kind of figure out how to work hard because I didn't really I'm a very lazy kind of person I don't really like you know where I don't like working that hard if it seems pointless and basketball kind of forced me to not have that mentality. So I kind of flipped that straight to music, so. That's awesome. 
And then which of your songs would you say is the most meaningful to you and why? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, man, which song is the most? Hmm. I'm going to probably say it's going to be a tie between July 5th and the Smoke Break interview. So July 5th is like my favorite lyrical song on the album because it's probably the absolute saddest song on the album because the whole out song is like, so it's like a reference to a song I wrote when I was still in college, like early in college called Three. And it was a song which is three straight verses, no chorus. And it's based, but it was based around something else. But this song is based around like, like a short time. I very, like the four hours I spent in like a mental health facility, uh, which is, was one of like some of the worst times of like not a great time for my life. And everything was based off the line that the longer I'm alive, the less I want to be. Um, so that's like one of my like favorite ones. That's my, surprisingly my mom's favorite on the album, which is weird. Uh, it's really sad. And then, the other one would be Smoke Break because I wanted an interlude on the album uh, based around a voicemail I still had from my late uncle. And I wanted to kind of like pay homage to him because he was very supportive and very invested in my music career. He was always leaving me voicemails about like some like the equivalent of like a get rich quick scheme for music. He was always like, hey, I met this guy at the bank. I think he knows this, this, this. Might be able to do He's always doing that. And it was like always meant a lot to me. And he always told me this story about some rapper that had a song and the song didn't blow up till 10 years later. He used to always tell me that to never give up and stuff like that. So I wanted to kind of preserve his legacy in the best way possible. And people always find that voicemail so funny and it makes me so happy that they do because he's a very funny person. And I felt like I, I preserved his legacy in like the best, most authentic way I think I could by putting him at the end of that song in a way that everybody finds hilarious and endearing because that's who he was as a person. So that song like means a lot to me. And I actually, I recorded all of that one in my house where I was living at the time. And it was the roughest recording I've ever done in my entire life. I was crying the entire time. It was, but I mean, it was fun, but you know what I mean? So that those two mean, probably mean the most to me right now. That's funny. Cause I was actually, I almost made a question specifically about that song. Cause I was so curious what that recording was from. And I did think it was kind of funny, but that's very cool. That's awesome. Um, well, that is all the questions I have for you today. Thank you so much on behalf of Radio Over 90. Yeah. This is sick. Thank you so much. Uh, Denver, catch us uh, June 17th at the at Mercury Cafe. Doors are at 7 p.m. Music's at 8. It's all ages, and it's going to be super sick. Um, and you might see one of my friends from college who now lives in Colorado. So that's incentive. Shout out, Blake. Uh, yeah, uh, show up. We'll, we'll, we'll have a good time.